Welcome to Software Universe On Call. I am Paul Franz, owner of Franz Games. I'm an SFB Online, Fedcom Online, and Starfleet Warlord. Just for an hour, just with talk every Thursday, Thursday night, starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can either call on the phone, just dial 605-562-0444, just follow the directions, call ID is 17702. Or you can participate on the web, just go to the TalkShoe website at www.talkshoe.com and search for call ID 17702. Uh, if you really want to, the, for the best online experience, go to twitch.tv. Twitch.tv, yes. Twitch.tv slash call. You will find us there. You'll find the, the wonderful chat room. You'll find the best calling streaming on the planet, I think. <laughs> so go there if you, want, if you want to join the happy band. Now, if you need to contact me for any reason, my email address is sfuoncall at gmail.com. That's s-f-u-o-n-c-a-l-l -L at gmail.com. Also, if you want to, you can follow me on the Twitters while they still exist. And my personal account is Paul Franz, P-E-Y-F-R-A-N-Z. And if you want to, you can also follow my my um, Friends Games account, which is for, obviously, things everything related with Starfleet Battles Online and also um, Starfleet Warlord. And, of course, also the podcast account is SFU On Call. And this lovely talk cast gets turned to a podcast available on iTunes and various other feeds around the net, including YouTube. Though YouTube's not a feed. Whatever. Um, some quick news from ADB this week. In this case, I'm going to start something for at least a little bit. It's called Found Online, on the, on the online store, which is something which I did. I'm, it's possible they, have, they announced it. I didn't ever see it. I just missed it. Which is the Cadet Train Manual Reprint Edition. And I'm going to quote them from the website, which is deep in the depths of our warehouse, as an, as an ADB's warehouse. They discovered a box with the covers and maps of the 1996 Cadet Train Handbook. So what they're doing is they're doing a reprinting of the book. It is a perfect bound book instead of the original stapled ones. And this book includes the counters printed inside the print beside the maps, the maps and the book. The book includes charts, ship system displays, i.e. SSDs, and rules. So that's a nice little thing to if you want buy the hardbound copy of the Cadet Training Manual, which in my mind, just from my own personal experience, and this is mine, because maybe I'm just old. Um but having a physical copy of the rule books is always the best thing to, to have when you're actually trying to learn the rules. It's a lot, a lot easier than having the online or ebook edition. Moving onward and forward, uh, when it comes to the SCP Online tournaments, um, currently Sapphire Star 14 tournament is not open yet. So just keep an eye out. I will announce it as soon as it is open so people can. Join the happy band and join sign up for the next Sapphire Star tournament. When it comes to online client, uh, not much happening there this week. When it comes to Starfleet Warlord, as I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned last week, there's a new st 
uh, standard game starting next this upcoming weekend. So if you're a Starfleet Warlord fan and you want to join us and you like the standard game, not the Die Hard, or if you want both, hey, if you like both, hey, uh, to each his own. Um, but if you like the standard game, please join us and, and start a standard game. Actually, we have um, a new new player with us, which actually is an old player, so it's an old veteran who hasn't played for years, who wants to get back into it. Moving onward and forward from that, when it comes to the library, not much happening there. Um, I have uh, have some updates that which I need to to process. Hopefully, I can process them this weekend. And with that, that is the news for this week. The one we all conference welcoming you to start for the universe on call. And tonight, well, you got me. That's all she should need. I don't, you don't know, I need anyone else. Just need me, and we'll be fine, you know. But guess what? Jeff's here. How you doing, Jeff? Hey, everybody. Keep me safe out there. Yeah, trying to stay dry tonight. A little bit of rain in Kansas. Ah. Oh, rain's a good thing. Yeah, they need it here. Yeah, <laughs> it there. Hopefully, they don't get it all in one night. True, true. They need it there. They need it in Colorado. They need it in California. It's like a good. Need rain everywhere these days. Yeah. And Gary, how you doing, Gary? It did some rain in parts of Western Canada as well because there's um all season kicked off. Yeah, I know. I know we could do some rain around here a little, a little bit more because I actually mowed my grass this past week, and it was, and it just all the dust was just flying up in my face, as as I was, and that definitely made it a little harder to breathe and uh, got in my eyes and oh, it's just not it was not fun, but it was what it was. So, and last but not least. Doug, how you doing, Doug? Hi, I'm here. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing good. And there. Okay, cool. Ah, whoops, forgot about that. Sorry. Give me a sec here. There. <laughs> Had to put my... My iPad is that all set up just because I have that as my monitor to, to show me. Okay, this is what you're actually seeing when you're broadcasting. This is what everybody else sees. <laughs> well, every once in a while I press the wrong button or, you know. Say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. The wrong button? Yeah. No. Yeah, then because yeah, I'm, I'm saying uh, nobody ever makes a mistake on a podcast. Right. No, 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 no. Or or, or a Zoom channel or a Zoom conference, a Zoom call, because Lord knows more than one times I've I've had some people there. I thought, yeah, this, see, this is this this is not working right. It's like, um, Ralph, you think are you sharing your screen? Oh no, uh, let me let me do that. Yeah, you know, happens all the time because 
Uh, that, that drives me crazy sometimes where people will talk to me in emails like, oh, this is an issue. It's like, okay, can you tell me something? You know, um, what version of the software are you running? Because this would be helpful to let me know what the possible problem might be. Oh, what server is this actually occurring on? You know, you know, they, they basically the whole thing that drives me crazy is that people assume that I know exactly what they're talking about without them giving me any kind of context. You know, it's like, no, I'm not sitting beside you. <laughs> you know, if I did, then then we, we then we would be all good and there'd be no problem. But anyhow. Before I come up with the topic for tonight, the guys, do you have guys? Do you have? Do you gentlemen have one? Um, well, I might be. I'll see if late for this <laughs> one, but um, it just occurred to me that um, I don't know if, because in the past um, we've reviewed different products for games like strategy battles and so forth, or I think Dead Empire one time, uh, maybe even the odd Captain's Log. But I don't recall if we've ever actually reviewed any of the Empire source books for Prime Directive. The Empire source books? Like, the... uh, not so much in terms of the actual game I play, right? Uh, but more in terms of the actual the the way in which it fleshes out the universe. In terms of, like, mm. for example, um, Prime Directive Romulans, regardless of which version you get, although get the first one. Um, uh, comes with um, like the history of the Exodus from Vulcan and the Romulans basically are like arriving on Romulus and uh, restarting their civilization basically and then expanding from there and then it tells you about Romulan society and also about the military and um, what kind of things that you might do as a, as a player in, in, as a role player in, that, in the Empire and so on or even there's a couple of species that um, they're off on the galactic rim. They're close to IFC space, actually. Um, that um, they're not quite subject planets because the Romulans haven't figured out what to do with them. Like they haven't formalized their relationship the way the Klingons have. Mm -hmm. But they only basically realized they were there very late in the game. But uh, some of those are quite interesting. And um, as it turns out, uh, one of those three uh, planets. Because it, it, the, the book tells you the various um, Federal Empire hex locations that you'll find them in. So it turns out that um, if you take a side trip over to Module C6, the map GP that the Paravians uh, in, instigate, uh, the ISC actually expand towards the Galactic Rim in that timeline. So one of those planets is actually in ISC space. Hmm. And I think a second one is either in the neutral zone between the new, the revised neutral zone, I should say, between the ISC and Romulans. Or it's on the Romulan side of the neutral zone. So um, it's possible that, like, if they ever do an ISC source book for Prime Directive, or uh, if you ever do, like, a Lost Empires timeline setting, you could, in theory, um, see about whether or not that species would become a, me a member of the Interstellar Concordium. And then you could play that species, or you could even play, like, a first contact scenario. Hmm. So, um, are you uh, yeah, actually kind of things. And then okay? Also... Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Did did I understand this right? Did did you suggest that the uh, Paravians might have been under the auspices of the ISC? No, no, no. Um, so basically, 
in Module C6 and also in Capital Zone 48, because there's a Federal Empire preview for the Lost Empire preview for that. There's a there's a, a revised uh, Eastern map for the Alpha Octans. Basically, right. instead of using the regular Federal Empire map, where the ISC is a big circle and the Gorns are on one side, the Bombings on the other, and there's no one else. In Module C6, the potential is set up for an alternate timeline where the northeast chunk of the map uh, is taken over by the Paravians. And so them doing that basically forces the ISC to move further south towards the Galactic Rim than they do historically. And so that means that the border, the revised border that they have with the Romulans um, basically cuts the Romulans off from access to the off-map area. Uh, but it also means that um, the these planets that I mentioned that are in the Romulan source book as being these kind of like uh, suppressed species, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, one of those basically ends up being on the ISC side of the border. So, Oh, I see um, what you said. As a result, basically, yeah. So, yeah, as a knock-on effect of the Paravians instigating uh, a, new, a new set of borders. Uh, I was just... I was just... A new species. Yeah, I was just having flashbacks, or not flashbacks, mm -hmm. but, but uh, uh, mental delusions mm -hmm. of, of, of a dreadnought called ISC with uh, with three PPDs in the center spire and three um, quantum wave torpedo launchers on the, the sides. That would be that be well. Uh, I guess if you uh, if you're really generous to your Orion player, then I guess they could um, they could run an Orion dreadnought with that. You know, well, well. The, granted, it's not it's not in the cards. I was just thinking, you know, if the if the Peravians are part of the Interstellar Concordium, and they can. I wonder how they would. You got the PPD, but you can also turn around, and if they do something stupid like try to stay out of the myopic range or charge in close, then uh, sorry, it's okay. Brain went weird places. <laughs> hey, that's fine. It's it's great to go where places. Yeah, um, Gary, just to get back to that, just as a general topic. <laughs> um, at the moment, not really. The only one we've actually discussed was the Tholians, because of big surprise. I'm I'm really interested in the old galaxy Tholians, and you'll um, and inf mm -hmm. information. Oh, I don't mean for tonight. Oh, oh, uh, understood. Yeah, I mean it's been like for like a, a future recording because it's probably what it, it would be fair to give people time because um, I don't know if you have the PDFs from Warehouse 23, but um, if you do, then I guess it, you know you could take some time to take a review of them because um, I guess the way in terms of ranking them would be that the Federation would be is my personal favorite of the Empire source book, so that would probably be the best one to, to look at. And then the Romulan one's the second best because... In fairness, they both were able to build on the Klingon one. So the Klingon one had the disadvantage of being the first one. So um, the other two were able to learn from it. But yeah, in, in the long run, like maybe before the end of the year at some point, mm -hmm. it might be an idea to um, pick apart all three. And also maybe just think about, because uh, ADB have talked about um, future source books. Like, for example, um, if we get a Gorn source book, it's most likely going to have the Paravians in it. But they haven't said 100% for sure, but it's likely they'll be in it. And also, if we get a um, a feel on Empire's books, that would include the Gazithis and Lyrans, and maybe the Carnivons too, but maybe not. We'll have to see. Yeah, I guess we have to see when the time comes. But um, 
uh, and so on and so forth. So, uh, for example, a Catholic book would almost certainly include the Sartorians and so on. So, um, yeah, there's basically um, lots of opportunities for um, seeing a more in-depth side of the universe than SFB alone or, or can provide. Right. But not tonight because it's um, the homework will be required. So I guess I just wanted to put it out there to see if anyone thought it might be worth checking out later on. Understood. Um, yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, the source books. Where would I find them? Uh, they're all on Warehouse Twenty Three now. The GURPS ones, at least. Okay. Are are they GURPS Prime Directive? What were they? I think they're um, primarily well, for in, Prime Directive. Uh, like GURPS. Yeah. Um, so. As I say, I mean, in theory, you could go to a number of different um, game systems, but I would, I would probably recommend sticking with the GURPS ones because um, there's a couple of things that are missing from like the D20 ver D modern version, for example. Like, there's a couple of species that aren't in the core book of those that are in the GURPS core, core rulebook. Mm -hmm. But um, the material from the Empire source books is more or less the same. But um, uh, if you weren't necessarily caring about playing role-playing anytime soon, I'd probably just default to the GURPS ones anyway. So if you just type in on Warehouse 23, like say GURPS Federation or GURPS Klingons, GURPS mm -hmm. Romulans, and then the core book itself, GURPS Prime Directive. Well, it would be interesting. Um, sometimes though, does anybody else get the idea that there's such a embarrassment of riches with all of the uh, content from the last 40 plus years that it gets to the point where, where do you actually start other than, you know, you've got basic, you've got advanced, but past that, it's like, okay, you go to the, 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 the new world's modules that brings in the additional races. But then after that, it gets to the point really quickly that you, you kind of just, spread the seed so wide you need a combine to go through and harvest it. <laughs> well, that's kind of where a lot of the Master Starship books, a lot of the Master books come in, I should say, because um, in theory, one way, now it's easy to do this in Federation Commander because the reference rulebook is a lot smaller than the SFB Master rulebook. But even in and SFB, it was, yeah, it was, you could basically yeah. So Not, you can say yeah, to somebody, um, sorry, so if you say to somebody, okay, you're interested in the Federation, right? Here's the Federation Master Starship book. It basically has everything that you need to represent all the ships that are in early years for the Fed, not counting the Orion, because the Orion National Guard ships are in the same far section as the Orion. Actually, because I should mention, um, Steve Petrick is working on the Orion Master Starship book, so... I'm looking forward to see what that has. Um, uh, but yeah, so basically, here we go. And if you want the SSDs, well, quite a lot of the SSD books are now available as standalone PDFs on Warehouse 23. And the ones that aren't, you could either wait for them to be updated and uploaded, or you can buy them as spare parts from the ADB physical store. So you don't necessarily have to go the route of um, buying the the box sets and modules and so forth. I mean, you still can if you want to, but there's like an alternative to approach it. 
Uh, what Gary, there's get, just uh, one teeny uh, tiny little problem with that. And that is one of the things that ADB mm -hmm. has never done is they've never included the R section notes on the individual ships with just the SSD books. You've got to get the product to go with it. Uh, you don't get any of the R section notes with the master rule book. And I don't own any of the uh, master starship books, but if it's a, if that's a blended product, great, but it's not available for all the empires yet. Um, so that's that's another yeah, that's be, another right. part of the, uh, the the equation. Well, the, uh, the Monster Starship books that exist right now, there's Federation, Klingon, Romulan, there's Gorn, there's Liren, there's Liren Democratic Republic. I'm pretty sure there's a Hydrant one as well. Um, there's an Orion one that's in the works. Um, the Tholian one, which Paul has been itching to talk about. <laughs> uh, I got it up a few weeks ago, and uh, I guess he hopefully he's had a chance to read it. But yeah, so... Um, yeah, yeah. The... But you're right, in the sense, you're also right in the sense that... Um, each, each Monster Starship book is good for that Empire only because uh, it's not necessarily... Like, you probably need a couple of Master Starship books like, to cover the Empire that you're, you're wanting. It'll take ADB time to get through it. But, you know, it's a process rather than that. I mean, um, maybe, you know, a few years from now, you'll be able to look back and, um, you know, see a broader um, variety of these products or whatever. But, you know, I guess ADB's got to start somewhere. But... The handy thing is that if you want to go take a jump across the void, um, the Omega Starship Master's Master Book, it basically comes with the rules and the OR section material and the Master Ship Chart material and the scenarios and the, um, uh, the notes, the tactics notes, and so forth and forever. So basically everything that was ever put into the, the rule book of an Omega module, the first five, I should say, or anything that was printed in Captain's Log up to Captain's Log 41. So it is a few Captain's Logs out of date by now, because the last update was in 2011. But it's all in there. So it's even more consolidated, if that makes sense, than any of the Alpha Octans Empires. So really, basically, it's a great way for somebody who has never heard of Omega to dive right in with a single product. And the only thing that they need to worry about afterwards is the SSDs, which can be ordered separately from ATB, even though they're not on warehouse running pages yet. So, right. Um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, the ebooks don't have the SSDs. They actually have some that actually are the SSDs, SD books, um, which is actually rare. But they do have, as Gary is pointing out, the Starship books, which have the description and talk about the some of the history of the different ships and also some of the history of the Empire itself. As like in in the case of the the Tholian starship book, which was quite neat, and I I kicked myself because I, I I missed the section, which was pointed out to me by Gary, I think a couple weeks ago. But yeah, when it comes to um comes to the GURP stuff, actually I, I realized I have three of the four. <laughs> I got the, the initial prime directive. I got the ones for the Federation. I got the one for the Klingons. I don't have the one for the Romulans. <laughs> That's the one I'm missing. Yeah, the Romulan one's really good. It's written by John Sickles. He wrote the Federation one as well. He's actually, um, if you ever look at any of the, the products, uh, the, the articles that he's written, whether they're stories in Captain's Log or if they're historical articles, 
like for example, Captain Blood Fifty Two, he wrote a really great uh, story that basically, uh, sorry, background article I should say, which basically shows how the Starfleet universe accounts for the history of the Constitution class heavy cruiser, and it basically how it basically accounts for all of the um, the weird numberings and the subclasses and even the earlier ships, like why some of them could be upgraded to Constitution standards and why some of them couldn't. And even as far as the, uh, the X ships that were ultimately derived from that same hull, whatever. And uh, that's, a, that's a great article, actually, I should say. And uh, I hope that more um, in a similar vein will be able to appear in future issues like in that same uh, style. So um, that's definitely one worth checking out, too. But yeah, basically, um, uh, he did a really good job, I think, in terms of um, uh, explaining, you know, the Romulans as we know them in the SFU, I should say. And also in the Federation book, um, he, they, him, and then I think there's a couple of other guest authors as well. They actually, uh, now it doesn't have the same room, of course, because the Federation does a lot to do it in one product, but it also does give you some of the stories in terms of, like, for example, there's a history of Andoria, of the Andorians, like, as in, like, what their planet's like and how they evolved and what their society, you know, came about, how it came about. And there's ones for the the Vulcans, like the Starfleet Universe version of the Vulcans. And there's ones for um, some of the other um, member planets. The ones, I should say, that were invented by ABB because um, there's only so many fed species that can be inherited from the TV show. And so the franchise since 1979, none of those species are on the table for ADB, of course. So ADB instead has taken a right turn and added a whole bunch of new species that are unique to the NFU. And many of those get a proper t- uh, shake in um, the Gulf's Federation. So that, that would be another thing to look forward to um, if and when we get a chance to review it on the show. Mm-hmm. Sounds like fun whenever we get a chance to get to that. Agreed. Agreed. I was bringing that up. Unfortunately, the the, um, the GURPS Prime Directive points to the website, though it's no longer as active. Actually, got, Yeah, actually it got bought out by some... That's because... Uh, yes. Uh, ADB did a revised version of Prime Directive, so you can either buy it as two new SKUs, uh, basically two halves of them, greatly expanded. There's like 100 additional pages or something like that compared to the previous edition of the Prime Directive. Or you can buy a consolidated version. But um, I think Gene said that um, the sheer amount of work that went into it meant that they couldn't justify keeping the same SKU um, because, like, to warrant the added uh, page space mm-hmm. um, to reflect the fact that the printed space is, is that much bigger like if you get a paper copy um, they, they did feel obliged to um, basically resubmit it to the Warehouse 23 as a, new, as a new set of SKUs so you might have to get that one new if you haven't already mm-hmm. yeah and there's the, there's, um, different volumes were available when it comes to the prime directives um but also the, the the original GURPS Prime Directive PDF I'm looking at has primedirectiveonline.com, which no longer is owned by the, the, the person who originally bought it. <laughs> so 
which reminds me well, of that's what happens when you've got legacy content and a and a system that is as old as the SFU mm-hmm. is that you'll see uh, layers of of activity that either um, persist to the current day or don't. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember, I, I remember bits and pieces of. Um, minor details that seem to have changed subtly since I learned to play in the 90s. And then I go back and I look and maybe maybe they did, maybe they didn't, maybe I just remembered wrong. But um, I'm, not, I'm not a computer, I'm not perfect. <laughs> but um, the, uh, the, the short, the, the long and the short of it is, is that even though they have the the, the the guys of uh, an Amarillo have pretty much honored their pledge. Never again shall there be a dindum. Um, they have quietly tell, dealt with the errata as it showed up. Mm-hmm. I, I still remember. I still remember hearing about the the people from the group from, from the group of people I learned to play from who started up in Commander's Edition. How the original. Uh, how it was uh, not necessarily an unviable tactic late in the late in the fleet engagement to send your uh, your near cripples into the enemy lines for the express purpose of uh, setting up a huge chain reaction detonation. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Agreed. I'm I'm just thinking about um, in the yay <laughs> yesteryear when it comes to the Andromedans. I still remember that one rule where basically all the energy um, that was in the PA panels was added to the strength of the explosion. <laughs> you want to talk about your oh, you'll your roving um, T-bombs. Yikes. Well, a- yeah, it gets even worse when said ship is a mothership and said mothership has a full energy module in it. Yeah, I mean we're getting we're getting we're getting up to the we're getting up to the point of of, of having a suicide freighter type charge that could just displace into the uh, into the side of the <laughs> Tholian three ring circus and just uh, everything goes away. <laughs> yep. Oh, I, I still remember playing uh, a scenario where I had the Desecrator Starbase, which overall sucks. Ooh, scary. Well, it. Yeah, it's, it's it's oh that thing sucks so bad. Cause yeah, it does. The well, scary part about it is, is all the things you have to give up in order to actually get to use it. Yep. Because the one thing that it was annoying—the beer budget alone—is is staggering. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Yes, you had the TR beams. Okay, fantastic. They're well equivalent to a phaser force to a certain degree when you get nice and close. But you got no phaser fours. It's like no, really. And I, the reason why I remember this was because of well, basically, the the fleet came in. It basically blew up the um, the desecrator starbase, and I did an emergency. Um, oh, what was it called? Basically, like emergency evac. I forget what, what it's called. 
catastrophic damage. Yeah, call for impending yeah. destruction. Yeah. yeah, catastrophic. Yep. C C D I D. Yep. Escape rule. And how yeah. does it, so are you talking about the escape rule? Yeah. Yep. So I call it catastrophic damage because of it's right. obvious that my my um, desecrator starbase was going to be blown up. So I called that to to have it so that all of my um, ships that were inside of or attached to the desecrated starbase could get away before it blew up and lit up like a, a small sun in the sky because of how, because this was this was in the commander's edition where the all the power that was left in the um, uh, oh, the the, the panels was added to the explosion. So it was kind of, Woof. yeah, we, I, I did my best to try to get out of range four. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, even the captains, um, the juggernaut have still have large, uh, explosion strengths. So I guess, uh, I think I've suggested before that, um, if they ever do a product that lets you run the Juggernaut Empire like the, the right. smaller ships of the fleet, they'd really probably want to, you know, lower the, the explosion strength because, um, like, if if you have them as very random monsters, that's one thing, but if you have like an entire fleet where you can basically, you know, send them up, like, you know, against enemy bases and stuff, and then just like dare the opponent to shoot to destroy them, then that's probably not in the spirit of what they had in mind because uh, not least because like you know the, the monster juggernauts have like a, an AI of robot crews but the the juggernauts of an empire they're supposed to have crew units so they're supposed to like not be in a hurry to you know they, the, the point of a conquest is to actually be able to rule the conquest so one that stops up is probably not going to help them with that unless they've got like really good production facilities but um yeah, so I kind of feel like it'd be interesting in the long run to have like a dial down explosion strength if you're running the Juggernaut as an empire, but then dial it up again if you're using them as random monsters. Agreed. It seems like that's one of the things that may have slipped through the cracks when they updated everything else because the Juggernaut wasn't part of the launch launch universe when they went to captain's edition it came around later even though it was in an earlier captain's log wasn't it Captain's log number one that's what i was thinking but captain log mm -hmm. number one was still under commander's edition wasn't it yeah it was and uh, in, in that case you know the explosion strength was kind of akin to what was the, the explosion strength back then when it come for all for the regular SFB ships, you know. <laughs> so, as Gary pointed out, that if, ever, if they ever decide to actually make a, an actual uh, empire out of it, you know, then they're going like, to have to adjust those things for empire that's actually playable by a player. You know, and not just like an NPC and IE monster, uh, as he pointed out. Which yeah. always brings me back to, of course, F&E and the Andromedans, because currently the Andromedans, until they have Andro Wars um, come out, you know, they're still considered, if you have anything in 
F&E, when it comes to Andromedans, they're considered kind of a wandering monster at the moment. You know, it, it does seem like there's some issues with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we talked, um, we had actually a discussion about the possibility on what could what you could do when it comes to uh, the RTN and what it is. Now, what ADB is going to be doing, I don't. we don't know. And we don't know what their, their plans are when it comes to Android Waters and how they're going to integrate the RTN um, and the Andromedan player into um, Federation and Empire. That whole thing is supposed to be part of the Andromedan War module. Now, I got some ideas about that, and at StratCon later this year, if I manage to make it, I want to talk to some people who know FNE a lot better than I do about what my ideas are. Mm -hmm. um, until I have a chance to do that, I'm not willing to say too much. But the thing is, is that if you look at the RTN as an alternate, as an alternate path, a toll road instead of a highway, so to speak. Right. Um, things can, it shouldn't be that hard to integrate a setup in F&E. Like, for example, if you're going from RTN node to RTN node and you don't actually exit RTN space into normal space, uh, you, you don't trigger react movement. But if you, if you, if you enter into normal space in a hex that somebody can react to, then you would tr trigger react movement and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they actually handle that because, uh, as fun as the uh, as fun as the Andes are, um, I have not for the first time gotten the impression that um, several of the the bigwigs in the creative processes over the years would kind of like to consign the Andromedan Empire to the Highlander Two category of of uh, oblivion. Understood. <laughs> Understood, um, i.e. one of the biggest mistakes in the Starfleet universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the thing is, is that as a spoiler, they work great. Absolutely, they work wonderful as a spoiler. Um, but the thing is, is that it runs afoul of one of the issues that a lot of SFB groups, SFU groups have found over the years, and that is nobody wants to play uh, just the heavy cruiser. Everybody wants to play the command cruiser or this other odd variant or this other one with all the interesting features or this other one with the different weapons configuration or half, half a dozen other edge cases. Nobody wants to play bread and butter. Everybody wants to play the periphery. Well, when you have this wonderful spoiler, all of a sudden everybody looks at that, and particularly when you deal with um, with um, the, the the storied history of 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 the crate tournament cruiser oh. being what it is, the fact that if you knew the rules particularly well and your mind handled the math particularly well with the way they handled things at that time, people looked at it and go, ooh. That looks like I had a, would have an unfair advantage, uh, just like some people are talking about. Oh gosh, um, the Seltorian when it had ten Phaser one. Yeah. Oh, 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 I remember that ship. Oh. Okay. Um, the 
the thing is, is that in order to in order for to 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 dial things back, they ended up nerfing it. But the, did they nerf it too far? Well, I think so, considering the fact that the tournament and Andromeda in these days has TRHs again when they didn't used to. Well, the the, other, the yeah. downside is is that they've lost so much battery capacity that they can't do a panel flip anymore unless they're just about full up anyway. Well, no, 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 no. The problem, no, you got it wrong. The problem is that if they're full up, they can't do a panel flip. Right. That's right. that is the issue because they don't. They only have three batteries now. Which means that the only way to do a, a panel flip is that you have to at least one turn, but you're flying around the board, tr yeah. getting your panels down to, to a low enough number so the amount of energy when you do a panel flip is low enough so that you can actually get it into your batteries. Right. And the thing is, is that with six panels in the front, the, the panel group that you probably want to flip the most is the one that you don't have the capacity to flip out of. Mm -hmm. <sighs> they give you the toys on the one hand <laughs> and they take them away with the other. I understand. Well, the, but Jeff, at the same time, that brings you brings it back to the, the issue that with people playing Starfleet Battles in the past, which is that they didn't want to play fleets. That's right. They wanted to play duels, or and and I'm 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 guilty of this. You know when we had we got a bunch of our SFB buds together, and we all take like a, a, a heavy battle cruiser. That's what that's what we we would take. Now we well, had. There's a reason why it's got the nickname crashing cruisers. Yeah. Now we had one minor issue, and that is, um, this was before shock damage was introduced to the game, and we had a uh, one guy, John Deweese. He had liked to play the Federation, <laughs> and the Gadunge, as he would put it, ah. Oh. John, um, and of course, what did he really like? He he liked the the Federation BCH with six phase photon tor torpedoes. Big surprise. The New Jersey. The New Jersey, yeah. I don't know. I always thought the Bismarck was a better was a better rounded ship, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, historically, it's useful on the Romulan border because you can coronate the episodes. Mm -hmm. But you know, but you know, but, we, um, but we, we like the duels, you know, because we all could just take one ship. Well, speaking of the Andromeda, yes. I was just going to say, speaking of the Andromeda, there's actually um. One of the captain's logs has a variant of the battle cruiser, which uh, the gun deck basically replaces the um, heavy weapons with a pair of special sensors. So technically, you can use the ship to go after the RTN. But um, <laughs> it didn't happen because by the time that one of the battle cruisers was free to do the conversion, it was too late. It was like as in like the crisis was over. But in theory, I mean, maybe over in the dark future, um, like the Darwin's timeline, 
maybe it did happen because um, we don't know yet like what kind of uh, order of battle the, um, the dark creature feds had, so it's possible that they did um, deploy that kind of ship. But um, there's also actually a variant that's called the BC-1 that puts Phaser 1s in the gun deck. Because apparently, historically, that was actually the original plan. But then they fig- they realized that they could put other weapons in the gun deck instead and went with those instead. So. But you as the player have the option of playing the BC-1 if you want it. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that'd be interesting. So instead of like the two plasma Fs, they would have two phaser ones. That's right. Okay. Because so the Kirov has the um, drones. Right. So New Jersey has the photons. Yeah. Bismarck has the Fs. The BC one has phaser ones, and then the Ranger class have a cruiser. That's what they would have called it. That would have had the special sensors. Yeah, actually, that's one thing I would I would like. Actually, more information about the dark history, to be honest, because obviously it's 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 mentioned in uh, what captain's log. because uh-huh. it has the one that has the scenario um, where the Federation ship comes back from from the dark future. Uh, wasn't that 52? The Return of the Darwin. Yeah, the Return, Return of the Darwin. Darwin? 54. 54. 54. Okay, wow. But the uh, the background, some of the background material that was used uh, to make that story happen is in SSB module C3A. Uh, but on the BBS, there actually is a pr- 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 proposal thread, I should say, for a new module that would go into the dark future in more detail. Like, for example, I think that such a module would be a good place to put more Federation PF tenders because in that timeline, the Feds are desperate enough to deploy fast patrol ships. Right. So then you can start asking yourself the question, what do they look like and what are the SSDs for them? So that might be a product that you could put that sort of thing in. Yeah, I, I, I truly actually would um, enjoy if if AB would explore the dark history, uh, the question is, do they have time? <laughs> you know, because I, I think that uh, to me, that's an interesting way of, in my, uh, for me, um, expanding the product, you know, and still sticking to what people truly like to buy, which is the Alpha Octant ships. And going going down the dark history, you can adjust the the ships to say, well, these these are ships that would be available in the dark history because of this happening, this happening, this happened, and maybe um, expanding on on what happened in the dark future. You know, obviously, um, um, the um, the dramas were actually able to build up. Their, their forces and their, their RTM was was undetected long enough for for them to um, be able to a, a, attack and no one actually was the wiser no one actually understood um, how the dramas were doing what they were doing you know and that's how they how they won and that's but that's an overall glossy picture 
you know, it's, it's a that's broad strokes, you know. Be interesting to the the find out okay a little more in depth okay to what actually happened. You know, when it comes to okay, what what did did this capital fall? Then this capital fall? And this capital fall? And what happened after the capitals fell? You know what what happened? Things like that. You know, um, little, right. A little more detail about that dark history is something that I would definitely find very interesting. Hmm. Makes I, you wonder if they ever if they ever considered going with the bizarre with with with, the, with uh, some kind of lightweight supplement more than just an April Fool's gag for the Bizarro uh, dimension, with the instead of the Federation the United Federation of Planets, it's the uh, it's the uh, Imperium. The the mirror mirror. So funny, right, right, right. Because um, the the TV Terran Empire, um, it's not on the books for ADV because um, it's not, it's one of the things that uh, hadn't been included in SSV by the time Paramount showed up. So, um, however, uh, I might have mentioned this in the past as well, but there is a product that came out a while back for the Romulans called Module R4J. Right, right, right. And that product includes a bunch of early years um, Eagle ships that have warp power. And it includes uh, a few alternate timelines that basically account for the fact that the Romulans have warp-powered ships earlier than they do historically. And one of those timelines, what they do with that, because um, in the, they call it the reflection universe. So... Uh, basically, in the in the in the ADD version of things, um, the, the the split in the timeline happens on Vulcan, and because in the historical timeline, um, Sorak, um, he's a great leader of logic. He succeeds in convincing the majority of Vulcans to follow the path of peace and logic, and only a minority of Vulcan, of Vulcans uh, reject that and go into exile to become the Romulans. But in the alternate universe, that's in Module R4J, um, Serac dies prematurely. And so there is a number of people who do adopt his philosophy, but they're the losers. So they're the ones who go into exile. So in that timeline, the Romulans, like the, the Vulcans, the ethnic Vulcans who are living on Romulus are the logical ones. And the ones who are still on Vulcan are the Imperials. So they basically um, get to, like, eventually, like, they, they form with the Terrans and Andorians and so forth. They eventually become part of a thing called the Federal Imperium, which is basically like a, a much more militant counterpart to the Federation. And actually, to get back to fast control ships, um, because the Federal Imperium um, doesn't care as much about the um, the hang-ups that prevented the Federation in the standard timeline from using fast gunboats. The Federal Imperium can deploy Thunderbolt PF as soon as they become available, but they don't get F1 lanes or H lanes, so they basically they don't go the third way. So in a sense, they become more of a traditional PF operating empire 
in the same vein as the IFC or um, other rivals like the Kings and so forth. And actually, if I recall correctly, that is the same Ultimate Universe, where one of the knock-on effects is that the main pirate faction, they still use Orion ships, like the same SSDs that they use in the standard timeline, but they've actually got Paragians flying them. So each of the cartels or cells that you can call out, you know, tribes maybe, um, as well, in addition to the weapons that they get access to from their operating empires, they also get access to the Conway torpedoes. So uh, in terms of actually going pirating, um, they have a very useful tool in their toolbox on top of whatever they can pilfer from the empires they're uh, raiding. Right. I was just thinking to myself a little while ago when we were talking about uh, the ISC and the Romulan border and everything else. It just suddenly just struck me blending blending plasma and quantum wave torpedoes on the same hull. How ugly would that be? <laughs> well, uh, say the, uh, there are the Orion cartels that operate um, on the Paradian border in the Module C6 timelines. So it's quite reasonable to imagine that uh, there's a few of the Orion enforcer ships, like the cruisers, and even even if they don't get access to dreadnoughts, even like the heavy battle cruiser or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you could easily install a mix of quantum waves and um, TPD methods so you can um, have a chance to see it in action and not feel that you're, you know, Gaming the system, so to speak, because it's quite, quite, it's quite reasonable that it would, something like that would appear. Although I imagine that um, in SME, in F3, in Fed Commander, that ship would, would operate very differently because um, the, F, the, F, the Fed Commander version of the TPD is a sledgehammer. Like it doesn't, the, the, it, it can't immediate because all the, all the waves hit at once in the same impulse. So you could still give it the corner wave torpedoes, but the purpose of it would be very different compared to the kind of tactics that you'd be flying um, for the SAV personnel. Yeah, it's just one of those weird things. It's like the, the, the deeper I dig into the Paravians, the, the more I think they may have not gotten as fair a shake as they could have with the Celestial Lottery. It just seems like they would have been a really well, you know, good pocket the universe like the LDR or the Lyrans. Mm -hmm. well, come on over to Omega then. <laughs> We've got cookies. <laughs> yeah, you keep you keep saying come on back to the Omega, but I've never heard I've never heard very much about it. Um, and I did look, and it seems like the Paravians that are over in Omega have uh, given up the QWTs. Well, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I think it's more a case that they're um, expanding their tool set because um, um, I guess think about it how like um, the Hydrants. When they get the Hellbore, yes, it's a fancy weapon, but it doesn't necessarily mean they give up the Fusion Beam and the Stinger. So the challenge would be for a Hydrant, uh, 
admiral to basically try to find a, a reasonable balance between fusion and elbow weapons. Because, um, um, yes, the anti-proton variants that are in CL-54, um, they'd be very useful to provide a kind of direct fire punch that the creators don't already have. But they lose out various things like long-range fire because um, the the old the alpha phaser one is still the longest range phaser in the game. And also the quantum wave torpedo is still very useful for a variety of missions that the direct fire weapons aren't. Because, you know, if they're raiding uh, enemy convoys or, you know, targeting planets and stuff like that. Or um, so um, I would imagine, now again, this sort of thing needs to be uh, hopefully ironed out in a future product or captain blog or something. But um, no, I, I would say that um, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to imagine a, a hybrid approach where you get the you get the quantum wave torpedo, and you can mix it up um, in a squadron with the anti-proton variants, and see whichever balance works best. Hmm. It is an interesting set of it is an interesting set of things to consider. It's just hmm? is it just me or though are but are the weapon systems of Omega hmm. a little bit like filing the serial numbers off of the original IP and producing it under license to a foreign company? Like you've got the mega phasers, which are basically oh, yeah. just uh, turretized for, uh, phaser fours on a vessel, or that's barack. But y you see what I'm getting at. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but uh, well, it I'm... could be argued that um, the alpha is maybe too uniform in the sense that, um, like an entire octant, everyone basically uses a phaser that uses the same weapons charge. Um, like it's only really the Andromedans, of course, aren't on for themselves. They they have a weapon that we we use the phaser two damage chart to represent, but it's not actually really a phaser two. Right. So, um, but everyone else from the ISC over to the Lyrans, whatever they call the, the serial, whatever they put the serial numbers on, we use the same uh, charts for. Yep. So, in retrospect, like if somebody was going back and starting uh, designing SFB over. Knowing what we know now in terms of game design, would they follow the same procedure where everyone gets the same one, or would they actually go back and think, no, maybe, maybe we need to think about is it reasonable to assume that so many different uh, factions would have that same technology now? Hmm. Well, I just they're analogous to each other. It gets to a point though when you have forty or fifty different primary weapon systems, 20 or 30 secondary weapon systems, and a round dozen or so purely defensive weapon systems, that it, it kind of overloads the new guy, which is probably why the Alpha Octrant um, stayed with a reasonably small group of technologies. So you didn't have to worry about 
you know, the phasers are your universal secondary in the alpha octet, but apparently they're not in the omega. Right. Yeah, I definitely think it's simplification, what it comes, comes down to. Well, I think um, part of that was basically down to uh, how, um, again, this is a thing that makes more sense if you look back from the module C5 with the electromagnetic magic cloud, because that was able to learn the lessons from Omega in terms of how to present um, a setting to make it functional, mm -hmm. and yet still different. So I feel that, um, you know, ADB themselves realized very early on that they shouldn't have included 11 factions in the in the first book. They should have included maybe five or six factions. Right. And they should have maybe put the weird, the, the really weird ones in the drawer for a future expansion and basically said, all right, well, if you want to go into the more unorthodox stuff, then yes, it's in product X or product Y, product Z or whatever. Um, but these five empires that we're representing, they're the more kind of baseline empires. So they're not too crazy rules-wise. Right. Um, yes, they have different phaser charts, but it won't take too long to learn them. Like you don't have to worry about some of the weird stuff that you get later on. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why actually in Federation Commander, um, the goal with the playtest uh, pack was to do the same sort of thing where you only have a very narrow group of empires that historically makes sense together. And the goal to see like how well they function. And then if they do function well and warrant a further expansion, then only go to the other half of that core region. So you're still only sticking with relatively straightforward to learn rules and systems. And so you're getting a better, it's basically the same sort of thing that you do in Alpha, where like usually you start with a federation and you know, you look at the surrounding empires and so forth. And then, unless you're someone crazy like me, you don't start with the ISC operating. Um, you get out to there eventually, but mm -hmm. you're not expected to like dump on it all at once. Uh, you have dumped on it all at once. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, that, but, uh, I mean, it's um, that's the beauty of the of the omegas in that um, when it comes to the phasers. Okay, just to stick with the phasers. Is that basically you have for the most part, most of the phasers work this way, which is they all use the same mechanism. They all have phaser capacitors. They all have, um, you know, they all fire like one shot per turn. They all take like one point of energy or possibly half a point of energy. You know, a version one versus version three of the um, of those phasers. But and the mechanism is, okay, you roll a single die six and you look up on the chart. So it's just that the chart changes based on what phase you're you're firing. So yeah, it's there's there's a lot more phasers in in the omega octant, but <clears throat> the mechanism and therefore the rules are the same. Just the only difference is the charts. And uh, even though there is a variety of phasers certain phaser types show up fairly common. So, for example, the wide-angle phasers, the phaser W, um, they're the Mithron standard ones, but they're also quite common for some of the other empires like the Iridani and the, um, 
as the pirates with the Pazuzman Marauders, or if they're operating in an empire that has them, they're liable to use them too. Mm-hmm. So, um, now I know Barry is not massively fond of the wide-angle phasers in a tournament setting, but of course part of the point of the wide-angle phaser is that when you're playing it historically, that broad range of fire makes sense when you worry about EW ships, because it's less vulnerable to an EW ship than a standard phaser might be. Right, right. And of course, the great thing about the Mishran Alliance is that you can also then include the Federal Republic of Aurora, and then you have, hey, here's, if you still want to use the standard phaser one, here you go. And the Fed, the FRA, is doing another great thing because it's leaning into the Terran designs like the old CL and POL that in the Alpha Octant are side notes for the most part because the Federation really leans into the um, saucer and SL design. But for the FRA, they don't have that option. They don't have any saucer ships. So they have to basically build an entire fleet out of the Terran designs that they have. And that itself makes them something different that even somebody who's, you know, an old hand with the Federation can find something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. One of the one of the things that I was wondering about is it's just a thing that goes way back to the beginning of this conversation is the whole thing about like what do people want to play and why do they want to play it like for instance in one group you had people who wanted to play mostly battle cruisers but nobody wants to play fleets i remember playing with people who like to play fleet actions and small squadron actions you know when i when i played at fort hood we played quite a variety of things other than individual duels and you know and and it, it always kind of gets me a little bit of like, I've wondered why maybe ADB doesn't have some kind of setup that is like a, uh, I wouldn't say an achievement ladder, but maybe a, or campaign setup where you play different things to a certain point. But the problem with where it was originally mentioned early in the conversation about um, such a large amount of material that you have it basically it's this massive universe of stuff to pick from. Where do you start? How do you keep people interested in it? What direction do you take them in? I was kind of wondering if they might consider putting out something like a uh, like a campaign guide that says, okay, for Here's this empire, here's a ton of scenarios, and maybe here's a flowchart you can use to play through to a certain point. You know, a setup kind of along the lines of what you do with Starfleet Warlord, because that's an enduring thing that you have a core group of people that like to do, because they can come in and they do their thing with it. It's a different scale, but... You know, it, it's something that changes, and you can play it differently on the playthroughs and get different styles of play in it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's there, kind of a thought I've had a while uh, back uh, on this, where the conversation yeah, uh, almost come back to it yeah. a few times. The, the thing is, is that they did a pretty decent job with the cadet training manual once upon a time to try to un- onboard new people. The problem is, is it's entirely not just an alpha octant product, but it's 
effectively a fan product because it doesn't really deal with empires outside of the ones we commonly see out of the original Star Trek series. The the Omega Octant doesn't have any kind of product that's any remotely serious, uh, similar. And I think that's part of the issue is, is that you got all these people that want to play it and all these other people that don't want to invest the time to learn all the nuance if they're never going to get to use it. Right. Well, the thing about well, that one has to on the F. Fairly introductory. Whereas, uh, well, actually, the Omega stuff. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go, go. But the thing with the cadet manual is that it, that's an introductory thing. It's supposed to teach the extreme basic mechanics of how the how to play the game. It's not really a. It's not really meant to introduce people to other parts of the universe. I mean, you could literally make your own cadet ships of each race with small set of rules and do the exact same thing. Uh, you could do that for the Omega Quadrant if you really wanted to. Nothing stopping you from doing that other than, you know, copyright and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of thinking about it. I mean, if you want people to go... The, the thing is, it's a very deep rabbit hole, okay? And and a lot of the people that have been in the rabbit hole have been in this rabbit hole for decades. And a new person coming in is going to... You're kind of sandblasting the, you know, soup cracker, so to speak. And and I try to avoid that. Which brings me back to an earlier point. Well, it just brings me back to the earlier point that there's such Um, an embarrassment of riches with uh, supplements and modules and extras and options and everything else mind you it's a, a wonderful well, thing that our our that, that the sfu is so large and so expansive but at a certain point it gets kind of hard to figure out where you're going to throw your specialists well here here's a thought okay so two thoughts actually <laughs> in SFB, when Module C6 was being uh, printed, ADB produced a very small free PDF, uh, a, a, a preview pack, basically, that was posted on Warehouse 23 and other places. Now, there's not much in the way of rules in there, but basically the pack comes with um, a, a, a picture of the map. Basically, you show how the map has changed if you have the parade as part of Onspans. Got a little bit about the opposite timeline options, like not not everything, but just like a, a page's worth. And it gives you a sample SFB for a war cruiser from both Empire. And maybe like a, a bit of a sample scenario. So it's just enough to kind of like, you know, if you get a rough a rough sense about like what these guys look like in terms of actually playing them. Hopefully enough so that someone will actually go out and buy the full copy of Module C six and then actually play them. So now there isn't such a thing at the moment for Omega, but maybe there should be. But to give an idea of what a, what that framework could look like, 
Um, so there's a celebration commander uh, playtest module for Mega. There's one for the LMC as well. But they both follow the same uh, template. Um, they come with, so for example, the Omega uh, uh, FC module comes with eight ship cards. They're all squadron scale, because uh, I haven't figured out how to do fleet scale for them. But um, they come with a, a heavy cruiser and a destroyer, each for three of the big empires, the Mistrong, the Prober, and the Trover. And it has one sample ship each for the Iridani and the Federal Republic. And there's a couple of additional ship cards that you can get for free on the ADB website. And it comes with only the rules that you need to fly those five ships. Um, so you've got the different phaser weapon charts, you've got the rules for like, the heavy weapons and tachyon missiles and stuff. And there's a couple of sample scenarios. And yeah, so basically, and it's only about $5 price. So you can get it either as a PDF or as a print book. Now, in theory, in, someone could basically do a similar product as like a uh, an on, on ramp pack for Omega in SFB. So I'm just thinking now that you could do basically pick the same eight ships, pick like Mishon Heavy Cruiser and Destroyer, Trover uh, Heavy Cruiser and Trover because then Trover don't have a story. The Prober Heavy Cruiser and Destroyer, and then the two cruisers for the uh, the other guys, and include just the the, the sample and just extract the required rules from the Omega Master Rulebook, and don't bother with the SFB. well, actually maybe include the SFBs, but don't bother with the counters because just say to people get the counters or get the shapeways miniatures because the exception of the FRA ships, uh, although you could technically use a Stand in as a, a Federation old heavy cruiser stand in for the operation. You could basically say to people, "All right, here's a product. It's relatively self-contained. It doesn't have 20 crazy empires. That you know, it's it includes an empire that's alpha adjacent, so you've got a good baseline, and then it basically eases you in to a new part of the galaxy." Um, without things going too crazy. And if you like that, go buy the Master Rulebook. So, the question is, well, I know Paul's probably going to get mad at us for how late we're going, but does that sound like a product that might work? Um, okay. Yeah, it does. But, okay, so you're one person you've got maybe two or three people nearby that like to play and they know what they like to play and you don't really like to play the way they do. If you're not actually going to connect with other people that want to play in the Omega, it's like trying to convince your group to play advanced squad leader when all they want to do is play trivial pursuit. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a point there, um, and, and 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 it comes down to investment in the game. Why why do why does somebody want to play? Is it, do they want to play a specific specific um, historical setup? Do they want to play a campaign kind of thing? Do 
they want to just try out all sorts of different ships and different setups. You know, I mean, it's like, it's such a vast, big pie to take a bite out of. And not everybody, everybody can get lost in their own direction, in their own space. You know, and, and really, when you're talking about a group of people, I, it, it comes down to the same kind of thing that you might have with a group that wants to sit down and play any kind of RPG, which is they all agree to try thing X for a session, but maybe the next session they'll try thing Y or thing Z. But if one person always wants to play thing Z, then that's going to be a turn off to the people that want to play Y or right. X or whatever. You know, and that's it the comes way it down works. to like motivation and in personal investment in the game of what is the game to all the different people coming in to give it a shot. Why do they want to try the different things they want to do? I mean, there's so many problem-solving things in the game that it can be fascinating over the years from different perspectives. But those things don't always align with other players, what they find fascinating at a particular moment. Yeah, good point. True. Right. But, you know, I was thinking about it, and it's just, when, when you asked about topics people wanted to talk about earlier, I, I was thinking, what could we do that would give people an investment into wanting to come in and do this at Gamers of Summer, Gamers of Winter? Would, would there be an ongoing campaign set up we could do or something? or a multi-event multi thing. And it kind of comes down to that whole, whole thing. When they come out to a convention, they're coming out to play special event scenarios. Or they're coming out to play tournament stuff. Or talk to Paul for a little bit, <laughs> you know? So, I don't know. Kind of at a loss on that one. I, I still haven't decided on if we're going to do uh, Gamers of Summer yet. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking... I'll make my decision by the end of the month. Yeah, that's coming up really quick. <laughs> yes, it is. It just depends on looking at a few venues, seeing if I can get the right deal for it. Because I've had people ask me about, are you going to do Gamers of Summer? I want to know for planning purposes. But... The, the online response to the polls was kind of like, I, I wasn't really like feeling great about that. Like, there's that. Yeah, understood. Yeah. Well, let's have to wait and see. Anyway, we need, I think it's, it's definitely getting late. It's getting really late. And I'm... <laughs> I need to get some sleep. I got, I got to wake up in six hours. Ugh. So, gentlemen, I'll start with Jeff. Jeff, you have a good night. Good night, everybody. Gary, always a pleasure to having you around. It's good to have you on the call. You take care. Sorry to hijack while you talk. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. See you. <laughs>
Doug. Hi. Uh, nice to have you call, <laughs> quote unquote call in, you know. Oh. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And yay. Yay. <laughs> okay. You have a good night. <laughs> Thanks. You too. So, obviously, got a discussion on multiple topics, including um, dark futures, which, as I said, I'm, I'm really interested in. I would love to, to see more about that. I think um, going through uh, the, some of the source books would be a great thing to do in the future, and also possibly even the Starship books, because the Starship books have a, quite a bit of material in them themselves when it comes to the history of the ships, and in some cases, um, the empires themselves, obviously, GURPS probably have the Prime Directive stuff, will probably have a good amount of background material for the individual empires. Obviously, there's currently only three that are available, but you know we found, we've got a good bit of material from the Tholians when it comes to the, the Starship book um, from uh, Warehouse 23, which is my preferred e-book, e-tailer. So, anyhow... With that, I am Paul Franz, and I bid you a good night.